today on Ag News Daily. I got to help put on the contest for not only my fellow teammates that were a part of Texas Tech, but there were other students there from Japan, Pakistan, I think Tasmania, and just various parts of Australia. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Fri-yay here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, although it's not really a Fri-yay if you are a crop producer. Markets sold off really hard today, Ashton, and here at Twitter PhD, at least, we've had a lot of guys calling in to ask what's going on. You know, we can get to that here in a little while. There's some other news I think that's important to talk about as well, but I just wanted to get that elephant out of the way early on. Well, folks, you've got to continue to listen to the podcast to see where markets ended for the day. I know after you saying that, Delaney, I'm kind of excited to see what exactly happened and, you know, continue that conversation on Monday, I assume, with whoever we're chatting markets with. Absolutely. To be honest, I need to schedule our market interviews, so I'm going to do that right now. Thanks for reminding me, Ashton. Keeping keeping you in line there, Delaney. It's yes, part of my thank job. you. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Delaney, I have got a quick question for you. Okay. So what is your favorite dairy product, I guess? You know, are you an ice cream mm. kind of person, frozen yogurt, the classic chocolate milk? Uh, I mean, all of it. Cheese, dairy, oh, ice cream. I about cheese. Probably cheese. Like if I think about what I eat most, it's probably cheese. See, I was asking you about the sweet stuff, but I completely forgot about cheese. I don't know how I did that because I am also a big cheese lover. I'll like eat just a slice of cheddar right out of the bag. Mm -hmm, me too. I like to eat shredded cheese out of the bag, actually. <laughs> I what? Is, I just don't understand what's wrong with us. Like that does not sound appetizing to some, but certainly, you know, after this podcast, I think I'm going to have to go downstairs and have a snack. <laughs> mm -hmm, me too. Me too. Well, the reason I asked Delaney is because researchers at the University of wisconsin Platteville are looking at milk for uses beyond food. Mechanical en engineering professor John Obelodin and chemistry associate professor Joseph Wu are experimenting with dairy proteins and lignin from grasses as material for 3D printing. Wu says he's encouraged by the research so far and the materials they are using are biodegradable. Wu added that there is more work to do as the early material experiments show, show some drawbacks. He was quoted as saying, milk protein can actually make a very strong polymer material. But one thing we also notice is that the polymer by itself, if it's made from pure casein or pure whey, they are very brittle and they might have an issue if we want to develop that into a product. The research is made possible by Wisconsin's Dairy Innovation Hub, which received industry and state government funding to strengthen the dairy industry. Definitely not something that I would think about when I'm thinking about milk, but certainly interesting. And I'm excited to see, you know, where these innovations go for the dairy industry, because that's just, you know, another market for them. Absolutely. And unfortunately, they have to, I think they're at a point where they kind of have to be a little bit unique in what they do because they've got competitors now with, you know, nut juices <laughs> and other uh, forms of alternative milk. Yeah, I like how you call it nut juices and not... It's not milk. Nut milk. <laughs> it's not milk, Ashton. No, I got oat milk the other day because I just mix it in with, you know, protein and stuff like that. But, I, you know, not something that I drink on the daily. But when I poured it out of the box, it... I can't even describe it. It was just cloudy water. So definitely not milk. 
delicious. I mean, I understand people, some people are lactose intolerant. I'm glad that they get to experience something that kind of halfway resembles milk, but please don't drink it by choice. Yeah, definitely does not taste the same. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. But switching tracks here just a little bit, Ashton. Well, we've got some news of a new African swine fever strain that has now, actually two new strains, I should say, that have infected more than a thousand sows on several farms owned by China's fourth largest producer for the entire country. Now, we have been seeing China rebuild their hog herd fairly quickly, so I think that this new strain is not probably going to catch up with that. But, you know, there is concern that a new strain will cause some uh, discrepancies, some challenges for their rebuilding industry. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. You know, it's just like African or Africans, but it's just like COVID now with, you know, the potential of seeing some new strains. That's how diseases and viruses, actually, I shouldn't say diseases and viruses because I don't know that I'm not a doctor, but that's how typically things like that, you know, move and transition is they start to, your body gets used to it, new strains develop. Um, I'm at least understanding enough of science to get that, but it sounds like that is happening right now in the swine industry as well. And it's incredibly unfortunate, Delaney, but hopefully, you know, comparing COVID-19 and African swine fever, if we are developing, you know, good practices for contact tracing and all that stuff for COVID, hopefully that can transfer over to African swine fever and we can develop some of those same practices to deal with the virus. But I have some more Chinese news as well. The country has reported its first cluster of COVID-19 cases among workers in a meat processing plant raising fears among local consumers who up until now have mainly worried about the safety of imported foods. So I thought that this was very interesting, especially since China just lifted its band. I can't, I can't remember if it's Brazil or Argentina. I think it's Brazil on those two plants, those JBS plants. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I just, I think this is just interesting and kind of timely, really. Um, 10 confirmed cases were found in the factory which slaughters 50 million chickens a year in the northeastern eastern city of Harbin and is owned by Thai conglomerate Charon Pak Pand. I'm doing my best here. One of the uh, world's top poultry producers. Another 28 workers at the plant and three family members were asymptomatic, officials told during a news briefing yesterday. While China reportedly pointed to imported frozen meat and fish as the source of coronavirus cases in 2020, it has not reported significant clusters in its own food processing sector. In fact, I really can't recall a time when they did report anything in their own meat processing plants. Can you, Delaney? Uh, No, nothing's coming to mind at the moment. Yeah, I mean, listeners, if we're wrong, please do let us know. But I can't remember personally, but... Like I said, very interesting and sort of timely after they had just lifted those bans. I don't think any other bans are in place at the moment. But again, I could be wrong in that. So if I am wrong, please do reach out and let me know. And I can do my best to inform you guys properly. Absolutely. Well, I've got a few other piece of news items here related to the Biden administration. It seems that they have continued to take people off in the marketplace. Uh, More specifically, I should say Janet Yellen has been sharing a lot of interesting comments. I will keep my opinions to myself, but she did share one, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast the other day, that did not make China very happy. Um, As we're continuing to see other cabinet members and folks of the administration step in, we've also seen uh, 
former mayor, Pete Buttigieg. He's kind of the front running pick right now, been going through his nominee hearings uh, for the transportation secretary. He was asked about the issue of electronic logging devices and livestock or excuse me, truck trucker rules for folks driving livestock didn't sound like he really had even realized that that was an issue for livestock producers. So he said he'd look into it a little bit more, kind of gave a non-answer when it came to that. And then we also have seen now 23 different farm groups have backed Michael Reagan as the nomination to be the new administrator of the EPA. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. I don't know a lot about Michael Reagan, to be honest with you. Um, I believe he's originally from North Carolina. So that's really all I know about him at this point. Don't know really where he stands a lot of uh, ag-related EPA issues. And Delaney, I'll just add, you know, this little bit because I haven't gone too far into this, but Biden has put the U.S. back on the table concerning the World Health Organization. And we have now rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement. Those are just things that I have seen on POTUS Twitter. So I won't go into details because, again, I don't really know much about that. But just two other things that we have seen since Wednesday when Biden was sworn into office. All right. Well, I don't know much else, Ashton, other than the markets. What other news do you have? I'm all out for today. What do you say we kick off talking about those markets? Yes, let's do that. Um I wanted to mention here quickly too, Rabobank has put out kind of their average estimates here for wheat prices moving forward. So I wanted to tease markets up with that as well as talk a little bit about today's sell-off. Chicago wheat futures averaged between 640 and 655 per bushel through the end of the year. And Rabobank's new forecast is saying prices are going to be somewhere in that range and could get up anywhere to maybe close to $7. At least that's the estimates they're having. Um, They're expecting to see Europe's export pace being strong and it's left supplies there pretty tight. We've seen Paris milling wheat futures average about $279 per ton. Their prices are skyrocketing, making U.S. products a little bit cheaper. And we've also seen some weather issues going on in Russia, which could be supportive for U.S. wheat long term. But as far as our markets are concerned, we we saw some sell-off today. You know, we were talking about it here at work. There really wasn't anything that was driving this marketplace today. I mean, we're not quite back to levels that we were pre-WASD, but we've given up really a lot of those gains we saw last week after the WASD report dropped. Um, we've seen, again, some more rain in South America, but nothing really has been anything that should be pushing markets this far down. We're going to talk about markets on Monday with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. We'll get his opinion, but from what I can tell, it's just there's really no bullish news to make things continue sustaining and rallying at these levels. So I don't think there's a warning sign quite yet, but uh, I think folks are getting a little antsy after today's market drops. And I completely understand. We saw a lot of red on the screen today, especially in the corn and soybean markets. It was supportive for livestock producers. Now might be a good time to price some grain if you're a livestock producer thinking, oh, shoot, I don't have my corn or silage needs ready. But kicking things off here in the March corn contract down today, 23 and three quarters cents to close at $5. Even the May down 23 and a quarter to close at 503. 
Soybeans major losses today as the March contract shed 58 and a half cents to close at 1311. The May down 57 to close at 1311. And in wheat, Chicago wheat. March contract down 26 and a quarter cent to close at 634 and a half. The May down 26 and a quarter to close at 636. In the livestock markets, much green across the screen today after they had some reprieve from high feed costs. The February live cattle contract up 262 to close at 116.72. The April up $2.57 and a half cents to close at 122.52. And in feeder cattle, the March contract limit up to close at 144.15. April up 425 to close at 146.12. Lean hogs also higher on the day today as the February contract added $1.82 and a half to close at 69.92. The February, excuse me, the April up 225 to close at 76.15. And in dairy, we saw a little bit of strength today as the February contract added just a penny to close at 1647. The March up 27 to close at 1760. Ashton, without further ado, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Well, Delaney, we are talking to a fellow Red Raider, Taylor Shirts, about the meats judging program at Texas Tech. For today's Friday episode, we are talking to Taylor Schertz, who is a fellow Red Raider, a meat judger, my former roommate, an all-around baddie, really, Taylor. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Ashton. I really appreciate the opportunity. So the reason I call you a baddie, Taylor, is you absolutely kick butt at meat judging here at Tech. And we're like a meat judging school, for those of you who don't know. Taylor, how many national titles do we have? I can't remember. Oh, goodness. I think we're actually at our 14th national championship, that, if I believe correctly. So that is just absolutely insane to me. And you have been a part of this team for some time now. And I, I believe you even judged in high school. Is that correct? I did. Yes. I judged a little bit in high school, but once you get to the collegiate level, it's definitely very different. So um, I definitely enjoyed both aspects, but um, collegiate judging is definitely more intense, but also has lots of valuable um, returns and opportunities as well. So Taylor, why don't you walk us through what meat judging really looks like at a collegiate level? Because a lot of people don't really know, and I myself, I don't know, you know, the, the full bit of it, but why don't you walk us through the process of what, you know, a typical practice looks like or what a typical contest looks like, what you guys are looking for, et cetera. For sure. So at Texas Tech, our practice schedule is um, pretty intense, actually. So on Fridays before COVID, um, we had the opportunity, we had a really good relationship with Cargill and Friona, and they would allow us to go every Friday to evaluate their beef carcasses in terms of grading and judging classes. So with beef carcasses, we'll look more at um, a quality emphasis. So with marbling and color and things like that. Um, and then in terms of the yield aspect of it, that'll be more looking at, you know, the overall trimness and muscling of the carcass itself. So um, like I said, in terms of practices on Friday, we'd normally leave the school about one o'clock and we wouldn't return until nine or 10 sometimes. And then we'd start the next morning, that Saturday, about 4 a.m. And we'd be working out just in the meat locker at our school at Texas Tech. So um, we'd probably spend about 10 to 12 hours there um, at a time on Saturdays. And then 
normally before the contest, we'll take off school for about a week and just get our mindset um, mindset ready for what the contest um, is going going to be like. So in a typical contest, there'll be beef carcass classes, lamb carcass classes, um, pig pork carcass classes, um, and then various cuts classes. So short loins, ribs, um, certain things like that. Another aspect of meats judging contest is that we have to look at specifications. So that's where we actually have different cuts that are fabricated um, into primals. So they're not yet at the retail cut level that you would see at a grocery store. So they're just typical primals that we have to look and make sure that they meet um, different regulations, such as if they have a bone, the cuts too long, different things like that. Taylor, I want to kick things over talking about academia a little bit, because not only are you on the meat judging team, but you're also a meat science major with a business option or, you know, a business specialty, I guess, for those who aren't familiar with the way that Texas Tech majors work. But why don't you talk a little bit more about what you kind of plan on doing post-graduation, because you're very close to that point. I am, yes. It's a little bit scary right now just because there are so many different options in the field of meat science and then just the livestock and food science industries as a whole. Um, my personal next plans, I'm planning to stick around at Texas Tech University and pursue my master's degree in meat science. Um, and with that being said, I'm co currently the coach of the 2021 meat judging team. And then I'll also coach the following year on the 2022 meat judging team. So I guess I like judging so much that I'm going to stick around a little bit longer and, and help other students have the same opportunity that I did. And y'all just got back from a contest. It was supposed to be the National Western in Denver, but sadly that got canceled. So I believe you guys were up in Wyoming. I don't know what the title of that contest was called, but you guys, you know, took home that winning title, right? We did. Yes, we had had a very blessed day. It was a, a tough little contest to kick off the year. But um, yes, you're exactly right. It was called the Mountain West Classic in Laramie, Wyoming. So it was really neat because I never had the opportunity to go that far north um, when I was on the meat shedding team in 2019. So I it was new for me and it was really interesting for all of the students on our meat judging team to be able to see that and see just a different part of the um, United States. So it was a lot of fun. So once again, just really blessed opportunity. So I'm hoping we can continue that winning streak as the year progresses. You know, you might have never gone that far north, but you have gone, I guess you could call it pretty far south. You went all the way to Australia to do an international yeah. contest, which is just absolutely mind boggling to me. That sounds like such an awesome opportunity. So why don't you tell us, you know, a little bit more about that experience? Yes. Yeah, so we were invited in 2019 to compete in the Australia um, Nat World Contest, actually. So um, we had a really big opportunity to be able to travel over there for, I think it was three weeks. Um, the first week we got to do lots of touristy stuff, you know, go to Sydney and Brisbane, Australia. So that was lots of fun. And then the second week we were there. Um, we went to Wagga Wagga, Australia, where we got to compete in the contest. And um, I personally didn't get to compete, but I served as an intern. So I got to help put on the contest for not only my fellow teammates that were a part of Texas Tech, but there were other students there from Japan, Pakistan, I think Tasmania, and just various parts of Australia. So it was really cool just to have the opportunity to meet, you know, 
them, people from, you know, different countries and just kind of see also how Australia's meets science aspect works, whether that's with their plant and just their agricultural industries overall. So it's really cool to be able to compare back and forth with what we do here in the United States versus the different routes and things that they have going for them in Australia. Yeah, I definitely think that it's so interesting to see how the agriculture industry expands across, you know, the U.S. and also just internationally. There's so many different aspects and they do, you know, things differently, I assume, down there than we do here in the U.S. So it's just super interesting to learn about, but you were actually a part of it. So that's just amazing. But I want to talk a little bit about the Sports Illustrated article that you were (laughs) featured in. I, Taylor, I just think that is so fascinating. So folks, if you haven't seen this, it's not your typical Sports Illustrated article. It is actually, you know, of course, about meats judging. Taylor, why don't you tell us, you know, how that felt to be in that article? It, I don't even have words to describe it. I was completely shocked. Um, we had, I had, was very successful my year in 2019. Um, I had a very successful day at the first contest at the National Western. And then our second contest would have been at the Fort Worth Stock Show. Um, and I just remember going in there just, you know, trying to stay focused on the contest, but there was lots of people with like cameras and stuff. So I was like, I don't really know what's going on, but long story short, it ended up being that they were with Sports Illustrated and they were there to um, just do a little post and article about Texas Tech and just with their winning legacy that they have and the traditions that Dr. Miller and many other professors, faculty, and just students that have been a part of all of these teams, you know, we're just one big family and they wanted to kind of get the inside scoop about, you know, what Dr. Miller does at Texas Tech and just the overall tradition that um, the meets judging team has. So like I said, I was pretty shocked, but um, definitely a really cool opportunity that I'll never forget. And before we move on, folks, I just want to say that they did compare in this article, the meets program at Tech to the football program at Alabama, if that tells you guys anything. <laughs> but moving on here, Taylor, I just have one other question before before I let you go. In that just being how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed things, because you're really, although you're not judging on this team anymore, of course, you are a coach. So how has that affected the way that you guys go about things? And maybe what do you expect for the rest of the season? So it has been a little bit of a challenge. Like I said, you know, when I was a competitor, you know, there's lots of stress, you're competitive. Um, So it's been different being on the other side as being the coach, because it's a different type of stress, you know, am I teaching them the right things? Are we doing enough practicing enough? And then to add all the COVID-19 regulations on top of that, you know, just trying to keep everyone safe, you know, just having to put so many protocols in place in terms of masking and then Um, Like I mentioned before, in a normal year, we'd have the opportunity to go to the cargo plan for Yona, which is only about an hour and a half away from Lubbock. However, now with COVID, um, lots of plants have shut down. And one of the only plants that is actually allowing students to be able to practice is Nebraska beef in Omaha, Nebraska. So it's about a 17 hour drive for us to go from Lubbock all the way there. So um, it's definitely been a burden financially, just being able to um, transport. We have 22 students on the meat judging team this year. So um, just in terms of financial aspects and stuff, that's been a really big change. Um, We have to drive 
with having to drive so far. Um, and then just in terms of the contest, you know, this first contest was a little bit different because with COVID, um, we weren't able to split students up into different groups. They actually had to stay within their team. Um, so personally, moving forward, I hope that changes and we kind of go back to a normal contest, whether or not, you know, we'll ever go back to normal. I don't know. But hopefully, you know, as the year progresses, we'll kind of start going that way. But we'll see. So hopefully I think it'll be good. But, you know, just have to pray about it and, you know, just keep doing what we can. Absolutely. Well, Taylor, thanks again so much for coming on today and best of luck to you and your team with the rest of the season. Thank you, Ashton. I really appreciate it. Again, a big thank you there to Taylor for coming on the podcast today. I have known Taylor since we were probably before high school, I assume. Uh, It's been a long time, but she is definitely a hard worker and very talented when it comes to all things meets. So I wish her and the meets team the best of luck on the rest of their season this year. But my heart goes out to them, of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and all that's changed. But best of luck to them. Absolutely. Best of luck to them, Ashton, as they continue on their journey there. But uh, we're always talking to people on their journeys in agriculture here on the Ag News Daily podcast. You can find all of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.